Corinthians 12, from verse 4. For just as one body is one, has many members, and all members of the body, though many are one body, so it is in Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized in one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less vulnerable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacks, lacking. But there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher things, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us together this morning to hear your word. And thank you for your grace and mercy in meeting us together as one body. And uh, we pray, Father, this morning as we turn our attention to uh, this wonderful passage in 1 Corinthians, that you would help us by your spirit uh, to understand uh, the importance of this body and that you would teach us to know how to live in the body in ways that uh, glorify and honor our Lord Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, friends, uh, what do the following television shows have in common? Friends, hands up if you like friends. Many of us. Seinfeld and Hospital Playlist. <laughs> uh, what do Friends, Seinfeld and Hospital Playlist have in common? Friendship, thank you. Uh, they're all very different in a sense, aren't they? You know, uh, uh, Friends is about a, a small, close-knit group of friends. Um, Seinfeld is a comedy about a small group of eccentric people uh, that get along. Uh, Hospital Playlist is about a group of doctors who somehow find time to do lots of things together. Uh, but they're all about friendship. Uh, or in other words, they're all about community. You see... Television producers are well aware that the desire for community is universal and they are keen to tap into that desire. Uh, I suppose 
shouldn't be surprised at this. For God has created us to be relational beings, has He? You know, it's a miserable condition to be alone in life. Who doesn't want to be part of a loving community? But the problem is that although our world desires community, it's not very good at community. For example, our, our global community is always marked by war and strife. Our national community is frequently divided over politics. Our local communities are often marked by loneliness rather than mutual love and care for one another. Even in our families, you know how fractured we actually can be. And yet, I want to suggest that this is also true of churches as well, isn't it? For it is not uncommon for churches to also not be good at community and be divided. It might be divided along racial lines. It might be divided along socio-economic lines. It might be divided through, you know, factions that form within churches that just can't seem to agree with each other. I mean, hands up if you have ever been to a church that has split or you know a church that has split. Hands straight up in the air. 100% of us have been to a church that has split or know of churches that have split. Almost all of us know from experience that community is hard to come by at church. Now, I will be looking at Paul's letter to the Corinthians, and you might remember that the Corinthian church was a deeply divided church. And they were divided over, you know, which leaders they wanted to follow. They were divided uh, as the rich mistreated the poor. They were divided over the kind of gifts they possessed. And so in our passage this morning, I want you to see that Paul speaks about, specifically, the church as God's community. For it is only by understanding what the church is, what God intends the church to be, that we will be able to live in community in the way that God desires. What kind of community has God made church of mind to be? Well, as you said this morning's passage, then you can see that Paul begins by describing the church as a body. You can see there in verse 12, can't you? Have a look with me at verse 12. Uh, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. That's not hard to see Paul's point here, is it? You know, the human body, it's, it's just one body. And yet, it is composed of many different parts. You have limbs, you have organs. You have all sorts of different parts that play a role in the proper functioning of the body. And so it's just like that with the church, which is the body of Christ, says Paul. We are one united body, but with many people who are the many different parts of the body. All play, all there to play a role to play their part in the proper functioning of this body. Notice that it is not just a select few that are a part of this body, but all Christians 
You see there in verse 13, actually, where Paul says, verse 13, for, what, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, when Paul talks about baptism there, uh, I don't think he's talking about water baptism. You know, water baptism is that um, uh, thing that Christians do where they dunk people in water uh, as a bit of an initiation uh, into the Christian life. But uh, that's not what Paul is talking about here. Rather, the word to baptize simply means uh, to plunge into something. And what are people being plunged into here in this, in this verse? Well, they are being plunged not into water, but into the Holy Spirit. So that they are drenched, if you like, in the influence of the Spirit, you see. In other words, the day you become a Christian person by the power of the Holy Spirit, is the day that you become a part of the body of Christ, which is the church. That's why in the New Testament, the idea of a churchless Christianity is a nonsense. Those who claim to be Christians but do not belong to a local body of believers is a nonsense. It's a bit like, you know, being a severed limb, having your arm cut off and the severed limb tries to survive on its own. For what God says is that if you are a Christian person, then you are a part of the body. Further, uh, notice that in the body of Christ, the ways in which the world tends to divide people are no longer reasons for division. For uh, notice in verse 13 that Jews and Gentiles are part of the body. Your ethnicity doesn't matter. Slaves and free people are also a part of the body. Your socioeconomic status doesn't matter. Paul in other parts of the New Testament also adds male and female. For we are all one in Christ Jesus. I know many churches have uh, that well-known sign the front of the church that says, all welcome. Have you seen those signs before? Uh, that is, it doesn't matter who you are, if you call Jesus your Lord, then you are all welcome in the body of Christ. And you can be a part of this community. What Paul is doing here is he's putting out that all welcome sign out the front of the Corinthian church. However, in the church, it is not uncommon for people to feel inferior and think that they don't belong to the body. Uh, is that true? Have you ever felt that way before? Feel inferior? Uh, you don't quite think you belong here? Uh, you might have heard the joke about the man who didn't want to go to church on a Sunday. Uh, his mother walks into, into his room in the morning and says, Darling, uh, get up. It's time to go to church. I don't want to go to church, he says. Why don't you want to go to church, his mother says. I don't want to go to church because I don't have any friends and people don't like me. But you must go to church, says his mother. Why must I go to church, he says in frustration. 
Well, because you're the minister, and uh, people are expecting you. Uh, you see, it's not uncommon for us to feel like we don't belong, isn't it? Uh, to be honest, there are times when I don't feel like I belong here. But what I want you to see uh, in this passage is that those who feel like they don't belong feel that way for a, for a particular reason in this passage. What is that reason? Well, it's because they compare themselves with others. And they start to notice that other people have certain gifts that they do not have. And so they conclude that they are not needed. Uh, that's why in verse 15, if you have a look at me at verse 15, uh, the foot uh, looks at the hand and he, he says, well, because I am not a hand, well, I don't belong to the body. And in verse 16, uh, the ear, or she looks at the eye and says, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. But what Paul's but what does Paul say to those who feel inferior for these reasons? Well, firstly, you can see there that he says, the way you feel does not make you any less a part of the body. In verse 15, he says that the foot is no less a part of the body just because of the way he feels. And in verse 16, he says that the year is no less a part of the body just because of the way she feels, he said. Secondly, Paul says to those who feel inferior that you are needed. That thing with it was the most awkward thing uh, I've ever done at church a moment ago in, in, in Kids Spot. But it's true, isn't it? Now, that's why in verse 17 he says, well, you can't just have a body that is composed of eyes. You also need the ears. And you can't just have a body that is composed of ears, but you also need the nose. And if, no matter how inferior you feel, you have a role to play in the life of the body of Christ. But thirdly, and importantly, notice that Paul says that whatever body part you are. It is actually God who has put you there for a particular purpose. And listen to what he says in verse 18. Have a look at me at verse 18. And uh, Paul says this, he says, But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. As it is, I'm sorry, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts. Yet one body. In other words, to think that you are not needed in the body of Christ is to insult the God who has put you and knitted you as part of this body to fulfill a particular purpose and role. Now, friends, I want to ask you this morning do you sometimes feel inferior? like you don't belong to the body here at church at night. Perhaps you see people who uh, do a lot of upfront ministry and they seem to be the ones who have really impressive gifts from God that they are using to serve the Lord and, and His people. And, well, you know, you don't 
this first time of use and using it. Oh, no, this church is doing the thing that I really need me. Or perhaps you come to our church and you find that there are so many people who seem very knowledgeable in the Bible, so many people who've done PTC courses. And yet, I don't really know that much. And therefore, this church is not for me. Or perhaps you are a single person and you come to church and you see so many married people who seem to have the gift of marriage and you feel like you don't belong. Often when Christians feel this way, they will simply leave church and be on the hunt to try and find another church where they feel more needed. But can you see what God is saying here to you this morning? He said, if you are a Christian person, then the Holy Spirit himself has made you a part of this body with a useful part to play. If you are somebody who can say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, then God has arranged the church in such a way that it has a place for you. It doesn't matter how you feel. Your feelings are real, yes. But your feelings may be wrong. For God says, you do belong. You are indeed needed, and without you, the body suffers. And if it is God himself who has arranged us in this way, through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus, then being part of this church community, being committed to this church community, Playing your part in this church community is the most important thing that you can be doing in your life. Do you believe that? Now, Paul has just addressed uh, those who feel inferior in the church, uh, but I want you to see that next he goes on to address the opposite problem of those who feel superior to others in the body of Christ. Uh, you can see it there in verse 21, can't you? Have a look at me at verse 21. In that verse, Paul envisages the eye saying to the hand, Look, I don't need you. I have no need of you. And the head saying to the feet, uh, I have no need of you. But who are these people that some in the Corinthian church were looking down upon? Well, you can see there in verse 22 that they were people being called described as weaker. And in verse 23, he describes them as less honorable. And at the end of that verse, he also describes, describes them as less presentable. There's no finding the fact that he's talking about the sexual organs in the body here. You know, the parts that uh, we like to cover up and hide and, you know, we don't think uh, they we need to present those parts to the world. But who exactly are these people that some in the Corinthian church were arrogantly looking down upon? Well, does anyone remember where in 1 Corinthians Paul has spoken about the weak? Tell to the person sitting next to you, I'll give you five seconds. Uh, where in 1 Corinthians has Paul spoken about the weak? Where have you seen Paul mentioning the weak in one Corinthians? Anyone want to raise their hand and, and so 
get a word search? Is it word search? Did you? <laughs> yeah, what does it say there? What's the gist? Yes, yes. I think the wit, uh, if I remember correctly, in, in, in that chapter, about people who uh, are weak in knowledge, in a sense, those who think that eating food sacrificed to idols, um, you know, has some spiritual power over them. Yep, that, that's one place. Uh, there's one other place. Yep. Chapter 1, yeah. And what does it say in chapter 1? Yeah. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong, he says uh, in 1 Corinthians 1. Who are the weak in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 onwards? Well, it's those people who were weak in a socio-economic sense. They were the ones who were not wise, perhaps not as well-educated as the rich. They were the, the, the poor, the ones who didn't have much power in the world, the ones who perhaps were not born into money. They were not noble. They were the ones who were considered weak in the eyes of the world, you see. But what does all this have to do with gifts? I mean, Paul has been speaking about the gifts that God gives to his, his people in this chapter, hasn't he? Uh, why does he now switch to talking about people in the church who are poor and socio-economically not as well-off. Well, I think it's because generally it is the rich who tend to have the more impressive gifts. Isn't it? For example, it is the rich who are usually more educated and more knowledgeable. It is the rich who can afford piano lessons so they can serve us with their amazing piano skills. It is the rich who can enter public speaking competitions. And so what was happening in Corinth was that the rich with their superior-looking gifts were look, arrogantly looking down on the poor who didn't seem to possess these kind of gifts. But what does Paul say to those who arrogantly think they are superior to others? Well, in verse 22, notice that he says that those weaker brothers and sisters are actually indispensable. It's a bit like some of you uh, who have ended up in hospital with life-threatening illnesses. I know there are, there are some of you. But usually when that happens, it's because there is a small part of your body that you felt you never needed but which has failed, and it puts your whole body in danger, isn't it? That little valve in your heart that you never thought about. That little kidney, that embarrassing part of your body that you try so hard to hide, but which can actually shut the whole body down. And so Paul says that we need to treat those members of the body of Christ much better than we do. That's why in verse 23 he says that those we might think less honorable, we need to treat with greater honor. And that's why in the same verse he says that those we consider unpresentable, we need to treat with greater modesty. Now, what Paul is saying here is not that we need to treat those who are weak or poor or disadvantaged uh, in our church community 
better than every other person who is here. Now, he's just saying that it's because the weak and the poor and the disadvantaged are hardly ever treated like equally to, to other people in the world that church ought to be the place where we treat them as equals. Equally loved by God, equally accepted by God, and with a part of play in the life of the body. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm a huge Billy Joel fan. Anyone else? A Billy Joel fan? You know, the piano man? Um, who knows Billy Joel? Yeah, all the old people. Um, my admiration for Billy Joel went up the notch this week because um, I, I read that. I read about something amazing he used to do in some of his concerts. You know what he used to do? Um, he saw that uh, every time he played a concert, it would be the rich who occupied the front rows of his concert. And they would often look bored, you know, very hard to impress. And so what he did was uh, he asked the, he asked the ticket, ticketing people not to sell a lot of the tickets in the front row so that when it was time for the concert to begin, he would ask people in the back row who were not rich enough to get front row tickets to come up to the front because he knew that these people would actually play their part uh, in you know, having a successful concert. And that's what Paul is saying here, isn't it? Not that we need to treat the poor better, not that we need to treat the disadvantaged better than everyone else, but to be convicted that they have an important part that they can play. Because we need them. Have you ever thought of yourself as superior to other people in church? Have you ever been arrogant because, you know, other people don't kind of possess the gifts that you possess, or have been given the kind of roles that you could be given. Uh, I think uh, at Church at Nine, uh, we did pretty well in this regard. You know, I, when I get around, I meet people who seem to be thinking they are superior uh, than other people. Um, but it is possible, isn't it? It's possible to think that way. I mean, think about the person who has been a Christian for a long time and very knowledgeable in the Bible, done a more college degree, done a PTC, know the Bible back to front, speaking in a condescending and dismissive manner towards a younger Christian person in their group because they don't know as much. Or how about the person who is very involved at church because they're very good at that sort of things. But they always do everything because they think that they are the only ones who can do it. They are better than others. You see, it's often people who are very able who are in the most danger of thinking this way. Friends, listen to what God says here. He says, you need others. 
In particular, you need the weak. For they are important to the life of the body of Christ, just as you are, and they have something to offer the body of Christ, just as you have. They are part of the body. In fact, in the gospel, we know that it is not just the weak that God accepts, but the poor. It is not simply those with impressive gifts, but even those with less impressive gifts. Because they are loved and valued and cherished by the God who has given His Son out for them, so that they can be part of His body. And it is as we understand deeply that at Church of Nine, God values everyone who belongs to Him in such a deep way that we will also value to and care for and love whoever belongs to His body rather than the now, I love verse 26, 26 which uh, describes this kind of unity, where it says, if one member suffers, all suffer together, because we love and care for each other so deeply. And if one member is honest, all rejoice together, because we love and care for each other so deeply. You know, when my little child gets a, an award at presentation night, it's not just the brain that goes up on the stage and receives the award, is it? It's the whole body that gets to rejoice in that. That's what Paul is saying. That in our love, mutual love and care for one another, we suffer together and we rejoice together. Now, well, in the final part of our passage this morning, I want you to see that Paul does a very strange thing. For what he does is he starts to order the different gifts that people have in the church. Did you notice that? You can see it there in verse 28. Uh, For he says in verse 28, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kind of tongues. In other words, the rest of the gifts. It's a strange thing because Paul has just been arguing that everyone who is a part of the body is equally valued by God and has an important part to play. But here, what he seems to be doing is he seems to be ranking the gifts in an order of importance. Doesn't he? And so what is Paul doing here? It almost seems as though he's contradicting what he said in the earlier verses. Well, friends, the thing I want you to see here is that whilst everyone who is a part of the body uh, is equally important, equally valued, has equal dignity before God, that doesn't mean that all the gifts are equally important. Let me say that again. Even though everyone who is a part of the body is equally valuable. It doesn't mean that the gifts themselves are equally important. Now that's why in verse 31, Paul can speak of the higher gifts. What are these higher gifts? Well, if you have a look at the way Paul ranks the gifts here, uh, you may notice that the first three gifts are all what we might call word gifts. 
That is, they are all gifts given to people who have been tasked with speaking the word of God. And so the apostles were the twelve eyewitnesses of Jesus' death and resurrection who were inspired by the Holy Spirit to not only speak, but to write down the word of God. Further, the, the prophets here are not talking about the Old Testament prophets because, you know, it would be strange for Paul to write the New Testament apostles above the Old Testament prophets, given that they equally spoke the word of God. But rather, prophets in the New Testament have something to do with speaking the word of God. Now, I'm not going to say much more about that because uh, we'll be looking uh, a little bit more deeply at what prophecy is uh, in the New Testament in the coming weeks, but know for now that it has something to do with speaking the word of God. Further, the teachers are those who pastored or shepherded the churches by teaching them the Word of God, much like you know, pastors and teachers will, will do it in churches today as they open up the scriptures and teach. But you see, these are all people with word gifts whose task it is to speak the things of God. And so what Paul is saying here is that it is these word gifts which are, in a sense, higher and more important than the other gifts. It's not to say that the other gifts are unimportant or not as good. Of course, they are good and important, as Paul has been arguing. And yet, it is the word gifts that are the most important because they are vital to the health of the church. I mean, ponder it, friends. You know, at Church of Nine, we have the best morning tea in this city. Uh, we often say that, don't we? We're very proud of this. We have the best morning tea in the city of Sydney. We take great pride in it, and lots of people use their gifts every day, every week rather, to provide wonderful morning tea for us every week. What's, what's the morning tea today? Uh, breakfast? Soup? Something? And so keep on going. You're doing a wonderful service. It's important. It's good. But you know, if we didn't have morning tea for a while, I'm sure we would be missing out. But we would still function as a church, wouldn't we? I mean, we did this for about a year to think COVID lockdown when we didn't have morning tea. But imagine that we took away the pastoral staff at church to teach the Word of God. And imagine if we took away the growth group leaders who week to week teach the Word of God. And imagine if we forbid all of you from speaking about the things that you've been learning in God's Word during our gatherings and during our morning tea. Suddenly, things will go drastically wrong. The whole body will go into cardiac arrest. For the body of Christ, or the church, is not fundamentally built on baked goods, but rather it is built on the Word of God that sustains it and makes it healthy. And so, friends, that's why Paul ends our passage in verse 31 by saying, but earnestly desire these higher earnestly desire 
these titles. For that is the sign of a healthy church, isn't it? The sign of a healthy church is when the members are desiring the word gifts that will help to build up the church. For some of us, it'll be good to desire to go to more college to be full-time pastors. For others, we've been Christians for a while, and so we ought to be desiring to be equipped to be able to teach other people the Word of God. For others, we need to be better equipped so that we can speak, you know, not only about the mundane things of life in our ordinary conversation, but so that we can learn to encourage other people with the things of God. Do you earnestly desire the higher gifts? Ask God. If not, why not? For it is the word gifts that are essential to the life of the church. Without the word, there is no church. There is no body of Christ. There is no Christian community. And so earnestly desire Father, we thank you that in your kindness you have not only saved us by the precious blood of our Lord Jesus, but that you have made us uh, an integral part of his body, the church. I thank you that you are the one who has arranged us in this way uh, with different gifts so that we might play our part in the healthy functioning of the church. Uh, we pray this morning particularly for those who may feel like they don't belong those who may feel perhaps inferior uh, to others. Uh, Father, we pray that you would help these brothers and sisters to trust not their feelings, but the things you say in your word. And please help them to be committed to using their gifts for the proper functioning of the body. Uh, Father, we also pray that if there are any of us who feel superior and who look down on others, others who perhaps might not have the kind of gifts that we have, we pray for repentance. We thank you that you are the one who, through the gospel, welcomes all people to be a part of the body. And so please help us to think like you and know that every part of the body is precious and needed in your eyes. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song.